Welcome back to WitGift Conversations, the podcast where we talk to staff and pupils about topics that are relevant to you. Now, this is a fabulous episode. We have Erin Baden talking to us about the animals they keep at WitGift. And the reason this is a fabulous episode is that WitGift has lizards, tortoises, snakes, guinea pigs, fish and other animals you may have never even heard of. But most importantly, we have Erin herself, who clearly loves working with children and animals, despite how the saying goes. So I love this episode because her passion really shines through clearly. But also, there's a wonderful short story at the end of this recording regarding baby ducks and the pandemic. So make sure you stick around to listen to that. So enough of this intro. Let's jump into our conversation right now as we talk all about the animals of Whitgift School. It's Erin Baden. Erin, thank you for being here and welcome to this episode of the podcast. How are you today? Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm well. I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm very good indeed, thanks. Very good. I've been really looking forward to this because I love talking to people about animals and I love the fact that we're recording this. Well, we're recording it online, but I can see from your background that you are surrounded by animals where you are. So just describe for the listeners that are hearing this right now, just describe your setting and what you can see around you. Yes, I am in uh, Whitgift's animal room at the moment, um, which is kind of my backup office, I guess you could say. Um, but yes, uh, it's mainly reptiles in here, but I've got lots of different vivariums behind me, uh, guinea pig cage, uh, they're being nice and well behaved so far, some tanks over in the corner, tortoise table over over on my left. Um, so yeah, it's quite um, it's quite a busy room. And the best thing is it's really warm in here, actually. It's the warmest room in the school, I think, which is perfect for days like today. Okay, well, in a minute, we're going to find out more about the animals. But I'd love to ask you a couple of questions just about yourself, first of all. How long have you been at the school for? It was just four years gone in January. So a little while now. Yeah. Okay. And how did you end up at Whitgift? I mean, where were you working beforehand and, and how did you first hear about Whitgift? It was by chance, really. I just finished working at Vets, uh, but I was kind of front of house for that. I was the chemist handing out all of the drugs, uh, cats and dogs and things like that. And before that, I was at uni. So I just graduated uni, went and worked at the Vets for just under a year. And then I, I found this job and I remember thinking, oh, it'd be great if I had a job that could combine my love for animals and biology and then this job popped up which said biology technician with animal care responsibilities needed and I thought okay perfect and uh, here I am. Quite strange isn't it when you see a job and it's absolutely got your name on it how did you feel when you first heard of this? Skeptical I think yeah and I, I'd never heard of any job like it lots of people I went to uni with kind of went off to become teachers or food scientists or work in a lab so this was kind of really different uh, especially in a school setting as well I really didn't expect that um you know what kind of school has reptiles uh not many certainly not one i'd heard of so erin where did you go to school yourself i'm from feltham if you've ever heard of it uh so it's kind of south southwest london uh and then i went from there to sussex uni in brighton down in brighton okay and tell me what you were studying there something to do with animals i'm imagining uh, <laughs> yeah i did study biology uh just biology actually i'd uh, i'd always planned to possibly do vet veterinary medicine but I did some work experience for a couple of years while I was studying uh, at school. I started when I was 13, kind of finished when I was 16, 17, just voluntary work at uh, my local vets. And uh, I just decided it wasn't for me, really, the day-to-day -day running of the job. And I uh, wanted to do something a bit more broad that just covered my love of biology. Now, describe to us a little bit more then about where you are. You, me you mentioned that you're inside, you mentioned that, that it's a warm environment, but tell us about some of the animals you've got in there with you. So yeah, as I said, it's mainly uh, reptiles. We've got four different lizards, 
Uh, so we've got our two leopard geckos, Gertie and Squeak. I can I can name them all for you if you like. Uh, <laughs> right. Gertie and Squeak. And we've got two uh, dragons, the dragons. Beardy, who's our bearded dragon. Rex, our painted dragon. And we've got Shelly, the tortoise. And then we've got two snakes. Um, we've got Mobius, who's our royal python. And Nemo, he's our latest addition to the room. He's a, a baby corn snake. Uh, so he's only about, I think he was 36 centimetres long when I last last measured him so he's really little other than that we've got some mammals in here we've got two syrian hamsters banoffee and olive we always name the hamsters after food it's a bit of a tradition and we've got two guinea pigs as i as i said earlier so we've got darwin and huxley they're a father and son duo other than that it's uh just the tanks we've got two fish michael and amber and then we've got five axolotls Three girls in one tank, two boys in the other. Sorry, five what? Tell me that again. We've got five axolotls. Have you heard of an axolotl before? Well, I have now, but for the first time ever. <laughs> okay. Um, it looks a bit like a... It's, it's, it's a salamander. Um, so they're, they're pretty funny looking. They're, uh, they're only found in one lake in the world in Mexico. Uh, sadly, they're actually critically endangered in the in the wild um, but in the pet trade their cousins in the pet trade they, they do quite well uh, we've bred two of them here so the the matriarch i guess you could call her martha and uh, mm -hmm. her partner doug uh, they laid they laid eggs uh, we've separated them now so they don't do that but um she laid about 600 eggs <gasps> 600 she must have been exhausted <laughs> yeah uh, it's a lot of hard work and that's actually part of the reason we uh, we split them eventually because it was taking a lot of her energy martha so the boys have a separate tank now to the girls but um it's it's fascinating when she did do it because it looked a little bit like a frog spawn and it was very mm. sticky so mm. she'd super glue it to everything in the tank um which is genius really to keep it safe in the wild, mm. I imagine it would make sure it didn't get um, blown downstream or anything like that in, in currents. But um, obviously a nightmare for, for me to clean, um, to mm. try and remove 600 eggs. You know, it's a, mm. it's a big room, but it's not got space for 600 axolotls. So, mm. um, but two had already developed. Um, so we kind of kept them and uh, it was amazing because we got to watch them them grow. And that's, uh, that's Axel and Pepper. Okay, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very clever. Very clever. Now, tell me, Erin, why does why does the school have? I mean, it's fantastic having these animals, but but what? Why does the school have them? Why is this department in operation, and how does it benefit the children? So, I'm told the uh, origin of the room was a boy going off to uh, university who had a leopard gecko, a couple of leopard geckos, and uh, you know, no space for them at university. So, kind of gave them to a teacher here, who kind of kept them in this room. That was. Gertie and Squeak, as far as I'm aware. And now it's kind of really grown and uh, th they have such benefit and use for the students. So uh, the biology teachers can request me to come into their lesson with some of the animals, particularly for lessons where they're studying predator versus prey, evolution, uh, adaptations, things along, along those topics. Uh, because, you know, they'll learn about things like peripheral vision, you know, eyesight on the side of the head in, in prey animals, uh, claws for climbing, te strong tails, and kind of all of these different adaptations that animals can have to help them in the wild. And uh, so, yeah, I'll take the animal into the lesson, do like a bit of a talk, and yeah, the, the students get to hold the animals or stroke them and kind of see what they've been learning about. I guess part of school life, does involve new experiences and you know if you introduce children to to regular domestic animals like you know dogs and cats then then th these are things that children see in everyday life in everyday homes but 
the the kind of animals that you're talking about here, like lizards and tortoises and snakes and guinea pigs, you mm. know, these are the kind of things that I imagine children don't naturally come across at the weekends when they're hanging out at their friends' houses, for example. Oh, absolutely. And uh, one of the biggest things I always have is, uh, when, especially when I take the snakes into a room, there's uh, one of the first things I'll say, is there anyone with a, a phobia of snakes? And almost always a hand goes up. Often it is from the teacher, actually. There's always <laughs> someone who's, um, who's not a fan of snakes, which is absolutely fine. But I always ask, do you mind me asking you why have you had a bad experience with uh, a snake? Uh, I've only ever had a couple of people say yes, you know, a snake went over my foot when I was little, you know, maybe jumped, scared me, haven't liked them since. Everyone else, it's more their parent, particularly with students. It's usually my mum hates snakes or my dad or, you know, um, and with adults, it's like, oh, I just don't like them. Um, and then that kind of leads me into their misrepresentation, I feel, in the media so what I always say, I'll say to you what I always say to the students, which is next time you're watching a David Attenborough or a nature documentary, just uh, have a think about what music they're putting on in the background for animals like the snakes and tarantulas and uh, uh, scorpions. They're, you know, when they're hunting, they kind of get what I would describe as like a villain backdrop um, for their music compared to the lions and the tigers hunting who get a very majestic majestic soundtrack and that does kind of all come into play snakes are beautiful and very very shy they'll always run and i try and reassure the students actually and say more than that they're very lazy because they're cold-blooded they don't want to waste their energy on something they're not going to eat so by the end of that i can usually encourage people to at least stroke the snake or um you know something and that's that um that's why I'm here, really, to kind of encourage people to try new things and kind of challenge their own uh, perceptions of things. Changing perceptions, changing opinions of some of these animals. That, that, that's, that's an incredible thing to do. I was kind of smiling when you were talking about David Attenborough programs because it was only quite recently I realised, I'd never thought about this before, but when we watch things like, like, that, like those nature programs, we're often encouraged to take sides with some of the animals. So if there is an animal that you're following and, and it's hungry because it hadn't eaten, hasn't eaten in three weeks or whatever, and it's hunting, then you really want, you know, based on the music and what David Attenborough is saying, you, you, you want that animal to, to catch the, the, the food that it's chasing because you want it to eat. Mm -hmm. But then the following week, there may be another animal that you're following and now it's being chased but because you've taken sides now with, with a different animal, then you're hoping it gets away. And, and it's strange that we have this sort of, you know, goody and baddie that's, that's, that's assigned to some of these animals. And really, they are just animals doing their thing. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, it makes for great TV. That's why we all watch it. It's very dramatic. But um, yeah, if I can just kind of get a few, few more people to think about it and kind of not assume snakes are all evil, terrifying, will bite you when they're actually incredibly shy, very, very friendly if you're just relaxed and give them their space. I remember hearing that Spielberg regretted the way that he'd portrayed sharks from Jaws because, you know, just from Jaws alone, the, the perception that people have of sharks is, is now very different to, to really how it should be. Absolutely. When I was at uh, uni, I had a job at Sea Life in Brighton. I don't know if you've ever been. It's a lovely place. And um I would give talks uh, sometimes to the public and one of the uh, statistics I had to give out was about uh, sharks. It was called the shark talk and it's an awful fact and it's that, uh, you know, unfortunately we kill 100 million sharks every year for just for shark fin soup alone. How many? 100 million did you say? 100 million. Yeah, 100 That's million a sharks a year. Number. Yeah, wow. just for the uh, just for the fin soup as well. So they just take the the fin off and then put the shark back in. It's not even getting use of the the meat. Um, which is tragic and um, you know if people 
kind of think about things like that. Again, it's about the perspective. But I, yeah, I have to agree. Even I was um, scared of Jaws and sharks growing up because because of um, because of that film puts it into your head. Okay, so you've got all of these different animals. Probably a tricky question, this, but do you have a favourite? I feel it's. Uh, I do get asked this. I feel it's more. I'm not allowed with regards to in this room. I think for me, it probably probably is the snakes. It probably is Little Nemo, our newest one. But maybe that's because he's a bit of a, a project for me. I'm enjoying kind of teaching him how to be handled and uh, kind of taming him and training him. Um, but also Shelley, the tortoise. Um, okay. mm-hmm. She's just such a bold character. Um, we definitely say that she's in charge. If that, you know, if there's if they're going to start a revolution, she's the leader. Definitely, <laughs> she um, she knows what she wants, and she'll kind of bash into the side of her enclosure if I haven't given her enough salad or if she wants more. You know, she can be really stroppy, and I just I just like her character. Fantastic, I love it. Not enough salad. <laughs> I want more salad bashing <laughs> yeah. into the side. Yeah. Tell me about Animal Club. I, I've heard about Animal Club, but I'd love to know more about it. So Animal Club, I run once a week, Thursday lunch times. And um, all are welcome, but it's it's generally the younger years that attend. And uh, every week we do something different, whether it's a quiz. We had it yesterday. We did an animal crossword, which is mm-hmm. actually incredibly hard. And I'm so impressed. They did very well. And, uh, you know, some weeks we'll feed the snakes, bathe the dragons. So giving our beta dragon a bath with some toothbrushes and things like that. Just lots of games and things. And the, and the students get to hold the animals, learn about what they eat. Yeah, it's, it's good fun every week. Uh, and how many children come along for that generally? Uh, very slightly throughout the year. Uh, I was told it is the most popular club at school. Uh, certainly in September, I'm always oversubscribed by, uh, by the new students. At the moment, uh, it's around 20 at least uh, oh, regularly. Oh, it's a nice number. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. A small class size every week, yeah. What sort of things do the children get excited about when they come along to Animal Club? It really, you know, really varies and they always take me by surprise. So I remember one, one week I, uh, I'd had such a busy day and I was really, uh, if I'm honest, a little under underprepared and I had some wood lice in here um, that I'd been looking after and I just put those out while I was getting one of, um, one of the li- lizards ready to go out to the students and... Um, I popped back into the room and they were they were losing their minds over wood lice because they'd never seen them before. <laughs> really? And they really? were so excited. Yeah, so excited. So I kind of put, um, I think it was Gertie, the gecko. I kind of just put him on the side in his box and they were asking me so many questions about the wood lice. And uh, can we hold them? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And um, amazed at them rolling up into their little uh, defensive balls and things. And um, I was just I was just like, wow. Yeah, sometimes I forget. Same with the hamsters as well. So you mentioned earlier, some you know most people are used to cats and dogs and the more domestic pets, but you know there's always um, there's always a few who are like, when can we see the hamsters? When can we see the guinea pigs again? And um, so yeah, it's really really nice uh, to see them. Little things like the wood lice or you know the locusts or whatever it is, the little things that they really enjoy. So when you say wood lice, I mean how many wood lice are we talking about here then? At the at the time, I had about fifty. I actually had them because we needed them for a biology practical, not harming them, of course, um, just like a behavioural practical. Um, but yeah, it was about a, a small colony of about fifty uh, living in a little box. Um, yeah, I think I think little invertebrates definitely need more of the limelight. So that's what I'm trying to introduce into this room at the moment. They get a bit of a raw deal, don't they? Because they're, they're not the prettiest of animals in, in the whole kingdom to look at, are they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But they are fascinating. They really are. And uh, obviously, they're small and easily looked after. So, you know, they can be handled. And uh, yeah, the, the students definitely um, gain a lot from them. Similar thread to the, to the snake. Um, lots of people are scared of bugs bugs and spiders and just arthropods in general lots of people don't like them so again if i can if i can get a few more people to be a bit more sympathetic to um 
to locusts or how great they are, how cool they are, then um, that's my job done. Do you think that in 2023, when uh, you know a lot of children spend a lot of time inside, a lot of time online, and there are there are more distractions around, do you think that there's less exposure to things like you know going for a family walk on a Sunday and and finding wood lice and finding other kind of bugs and creatures out in the woods? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like the going back to the wood lice that did really um, that did really shock me because that, you know that's from my my childhood really you know like rummaging around under pots and things trying to trying to find them um finding all sorts of bugs and things i think there are a lot um of students who are missing out on um all the amazing little creatures that we have in the uk even um so yeah it's a shame really it's a shame there's a lot to be found like you said on a on a winter walk exactly that so tell us about any interesting facts about any of the animals that you've got there at Whitgift. Oh, uh, I could go on forever, I think, for that one. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I think one of my favourite facts that's still amazing even to me is, is to do with the axolotls. Uh, so I mentioned already they're only found in one lake in the world and they do really well in the pet trade. And uh, they're actually very popular in lots of labs across the world. Uh, and and uh, scientists are very interested in them. And that's because they can actually regenerate any part of the, their body. So regenerates. They How can, they yes. Yeah. Uh, so, so Martha, the uh, kind of matriarch we have here at uh, Whitgift, she's sharing a tank with her two daughters and. Uh, they're not the brightest. They're not the most intelligent. And uh, <laughs> how they eat is uh, via kind of like suction. So anything that would swim past them in the wild, they would kind of snap at and, and suck it in and eat it. So that would be worms and snails and uh, anything at all, small fish. So what happens is sometimes they accidentally bite bits of each other off. And um, not too long ago, Pepper, I think it was Pepper, she bit off um, her mum's leg. So um, Martha was uh, three-legged. But um, within two weeks, it had grown back. No. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's happened many times in my uh, four years here. It's not It's not um, unusual at all. So all I do is just make sure Martha's getting lots of extra food to make sure she's kind of got enough energy to regrow it. And uh, yeah, it's good as new. You'd never know. They, uh, they, they're really incredible creatures. Wow. Is there any way of harnessing that and bringing that into, into humans? He, he asks selfishly. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly why they're so popular. Um, imagine if we could, you know, harness that ability or understand that biology. Um, the uses in uh, prosthetics and amputees, for example, just mm, one yeah. example, it's yeah. incredible. It's not just arms and legs they can do. Uh, they can do uh, parts of their brain tissue, heart tissue, all of their, all of their organs. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, it is incredible to to see just like, oh, Martha's leg's back now. <laughs> incredible. Tell me more. Tell me something about another animal there then. Um, on a similar thread, we have the leopard geckos. Um, they can um, regenerate their tails. So it's an incredible defense. Um, so a predator in the wild, like a snake, for example, would you know pounce, uh, grab the tail, and they can just detach it and run off. The tail is actually... Um, if you if you've ever seen a leopard gecko, um, or if you haven't, have a look. They um, online they their tail is really swollen and it, it looks very similar to their body. Uh, so the idea is to kind of fool the snake. And um, what happens is it detaches and it can keep wiggling um, for up to half an hour after it's fallen off. So kind of really pretending to be the leopard gecko while he makes his escape. But that is also uh, an incredible fat store, a bit like a camel's hump, because uh, uh, leopard geckos are in places like Afghanistan, very dry, arid deserts is, is their habitat. And um, so that would be like an uh, essential uh, water source. So um, 
the students often ask me, uh, isn't it bad to lose the tail? And I say, yes, that's why, you know, we try try to make sure we don't pick them up by the tail. We don't want them to lose it. But um, how I describe it is if you're in the desert and uh, you've got your big backpack and you're you're trapped by your backpack, you're going to slip it off and run away. You know, it's it's better to have your... Um, yourself intact and you can start again on your on your backpack and uh, yeah, oh okay yeah. that makes sense yeah. so good um, way of looking at it good yeah way of looking at yeah it. wow erin do you have any pets of your own at home i do yes um i have a little cat yeah just a little black black and white cat his name is hugo um he's very sweet and uh yeah uh, i've trained him quite well so he's he's good um but yeah yeah he uh he's my only one um i've had a lot in the past growing up but I, I'm trying. Uh, I'm trying not to have as many at home. Yeah, because I work with them all day, and yeah, they're incredible. Yeah. And I, I uh, yeah, I think what I'm, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to try and convince my husband to, to agree with is, um, I've got a spare room in the house. I'd like to fill up with lots of invertebrates. Um, so you know, praying mantis, scorpion, uh, things like that. You know, but um, yeah, I'm still working on that. Um, proposition to him so now i've got a little note here that i should be asking you something about baby ducks tell me about that (laughs) yes okay this is uh yeah so uh this was um march 2020 a big a big year 2020 and uh so every year here at whitgift we um we get in a, a hatching kit. So we uh, hire some eggs from a company. Uh, we've got a really nice company we work with. And uh, we loan the eggs. We get to watch the chicks or ducklings hatch, keep them for 10 days, and then we kind of give them back. And that one that one year, we decided we would do the ducklings. And uh, I'd spoken to Neil, who works in the, the water gardens uh, here at Wakegift with the flamingos, and they've got lots of exotic ducks there. And he said, yeah, we could do with some more ducks, actually, out here. So... Um, why didn't you ask the company if you could keep the the ducklings afterwards and then we can kind of release them here? And, you know, I'd raised uh, ducklings and chicks and things in the past from eggs. So I knew that um, they have to stay inside in a box just with a heat lamp, quite simple, for about six weeks, five to six weeks until they're adult. They're adult size, uh, about five weeks old. And then we can release them into the water gardens. That was the uh, the grand idea. About a week after I'd emailed the company to say, uh, we'd like to keep them, please. You don't need to come and take them back. Um, the pandemic um, kind of was announced, like lockdown over here. Mm-hmm. And um, I was given the key worker status so I could come in and feed the animals. But um, it was very much at, the sta- at that stage, it was very limited. I was only allowed to come in and do the basics for safety mm. reasons. Yeah. And for the reptiles and everyone in here, we didn't have the guinea pigs at that point. The uh, hamsters stayed home with me. Um, but for everyone else in here, uh, during the holidays, I'll just pop in three days a week. Uh, and that's fine for them because they're reptiles. They don't need daily care. But um, ducklings, however, need daily care mm. at least. Mm. Um, so that kind of left me with no option um, but to take them home with me. All my colleagues were on furlough. Yeah, so I was like, okay, I'll have to take them home with me in a cage. And um, five weeks later, there were four adult ducklings living <laughs> in my bathroom. <laughs> And um, <laughs> it sounds um, it sounds sweet. And I suppose for the first couple of weeks it was. But again, I'd like to remind you that they are adult sized mm. at six weeks old. And these are the Pekin duck. Uh, if you've ever seen those, they are giant uh, fat white ducks. Very loud. I can promise you they are very loud. Okay. And um, unfortunately as well, because of the pandemic, there was a bit of an issue with them, um, like food. Lots of um, bulk buying and panic buying, I think, was going on. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I was a little bit concerned because I went to speak to Neil in the water gardens to uh, 
borrow some of his pellets that he feeds uh, the flamingos on. Mm-hmm. Now, flamingos get their pink colour from the food they eat. And uh, in captivity, they're given um, like a supplement in their food to encourage oh, okay. that colour. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was obviously <laughs> borrowing that, <laughs> that pellet. You can see where I'm going with this. I um, can, yeah. And um, I was incredibly worried um, that when the boys returned to school, they'd uh, come and find their four beautiful mm-hmm. little white ducklings were now bright pink. <laughs> uh, like putting a red sock in the whitewash. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good analogy, actually. Um, thankfully, that didn't happen. Um, and the ducks were fine. And then we did release them into the water gardens uh, mm. and it was wonderful in the end. But um, yeah, for five weeks, it was it was intense, I think is the word. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But I wouldn't sign up for it again. <laughs> yeah. But it tells a good story. I love that. It, I, yeah. I absolutely love that. Erin, I'm keeping an eye on time. We probably need to bring this episode to a close. I just want to say thank you, though, for being here. It's been fantastic talking to you about animals and, and hearing your passion and enthusiasm coming through for these animals is just great to hear. It really is. But thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. So that was Erin Baden, along with various fantastic animals, and I don't even mean the children. So good to have you on this episode, Erin. Thank you for your time being here. Now, our next episode is coming out soon, but in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.